Welcome to Jesus Has Left the Building, where we talk with people leading creative, outside the box, I mean outside the church building, ministries that inspire and engage us. Our vision is to unfold God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Our hope is that these stories will help you find ways to engage in your own communities as we work together for a more just and loving world. This is the Jesus Has Left the Building podcast, where ministers, people of faith, activists, and church leaders have left the building too, with Marta and Mandy. Marta, it's our one-year anniversary for Jesus Has Left the Building. Isn't that super fun? Super great. Woo-woo! Woo-woo. Here we are. Can't believe it actually has I know. been this long. What I never year. imagined in my entire life. Holy smokes. So last fall in the midst of the global pandemic, we launched this podcast, Jesus Has Left the Building, where we have had the opportunity to speak with remarkable people all over the nation who are doing ministry during this pandemic that has turned tables over. I know. It's actually a little intimidating coming in to season five with just you and I having a conversation Mm -hmm. because we're usually like... I feel protected by like the famous people that we've had come on with us to offer their wisdom and creativity. We have had um, guests talking about their newly published books and sharing wisdom on the church and ministry in the middle of a pandemic. Um, They've opened up about their creative processes, um, which, you know, can be really vulnerable sometimes. Um, And some of them have, like, just shared about themselves in ministry and what that's been like. The issues have ranged, like, oh, my gosh, all the way from we sort of started with racial justice because it was right after the summer of 2020, right, Mm -hmm. Um, and to transgender etiquette, to social media, and beyond. There's been lots of things. Yeah. So this season, season five, we're calling Turning Over Tables. And as Marta mentioned, it will primarily be a conversation between the two of us with questions about the church guiding our discussions. As we dive deep about why the church is the way it is. And we're not experts. We are not experts. We actually don't know why the church is the way it is in a lot of these ways. Um, But we have asked some of our listeners to give us some questions, and they have laid it all out on the table. We have questions from clergy, from people who love the church, and from people who are on the margins. So in some ways, we are doing this season, you know, um, ministers tend to do the things that they actually want to know and learn themselves, right? Right. And so we have an interest in this table-turning business, and we want to liberate ourselves from structures and systems that no longer serve us as we talk about really hard questions, where we talk about these hard things and make them transparent, um, especially the things that just aren't working. Um, And we might just dare to change it. The things that we hide, you know, those things that we sort of hide or keep secret are things that get neglected and then will never transform, right? Like a seed that never gets watered or never sees the sun. There's going to be no transformation. Transformation only happens with care and attention. And we are in the transforming business. Heck yeah, we are. 
This is the first episode of this season, and we will share some stories from our own experiences in the church. But just to be clear, we will not identify which church, because both of us grew up in a church in our hometowns, and then um, me, Marta, I have served six churches from all the way from the East Coast through the Midwest and into the Rockies. And Mandy has served four churches in Kansas and Colorado. Um, before, but so before we begin, we want our listeners to know that we deeply love the church, like on a on a global level. Like we have so much hope for the church. We also know that negotiating change is a constant and not easy to do in a church. So when we tell of our own experiences you're not going to know which church we're talking about. So that's what we want to make clear. I mean, you can try to speculate if you want, because that's just fun to do, right? <laughs> um, but you're not going to know. Um, so when we talk about these hard, hard things, please understand that it comes from a broken heart and also an invitation to be transformed. We're really pushing this transformation thing. Um, we are interested in being agitators, and we don't want the church to be cautious anymore. We believe there is too much at stake in our world. Our scripture text that we, um, that is really going to like guide, I think, our entire season, but um, we're specifically going to focus on in this episode, but maybe not in every single episode, um, but in this episode, it comes from the Gospel of Matthew 21, 12 through 13. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. you have a story that connects to this text? Do you have some images and feelings or thoughts from your personal life that you want to share? Yeah, I mean, I think this, um, you know, I, I think that this story in the scripture stands out because it's easy to think about Jesus as this sort of like perfect figure, right, who um, doesn't get angry or doesn't... Um, yell and scream, right? Um, and I think there's this pressure to, like, what would Jesus do, right? Well, sometimes Jesus would turn over the damn tables, right? He would go in um, with his whip and, like, start cracking down on the issues. Um, and I think that, you know, as, as a parent... I always feel this huge shame and guilt when I yell at my kids, you know? Um, not like in a mean and hateful way, but, you know, like I lose my temper. and But to think that, you know, Jesus lost his temper. Jesus, like, threw things and made these, like, really dramatic changes to this moment 
is, um, I don't know, a little bit forgiving in some ways. Like it feels, he feels so incredibly human in this scene. Um, and for those of us reading who are all, by the way, human, um, I, I don't know. I think it feels like we can relate in a way that sometimes when Jesus is just like, you know, turning the other cheek and forgiving all the many times, it's harder to relate to that. Yeah, I was actually really, really thinking about it and sort of getting beyond that angry moment that Jesus was having and thinking, gosh, why, what happened? What snapped? Mm -hmm. What was the straw that broke the camel's back? What was, what's underneath all of this? And I thought the first thing that sort of came to my mind was Jesus felt stuck. Mm -hmm. He felt something needed to change. Something needed to change. He felt like he was either like, stuck in this deep dark hole and could not get out and so he was in the fight for his life um early on in my ministry i used to say a lot um my wings feel clipped right like i can't i'm i'm i, I can't fly i don't know what to do i'm stuck i'm stuck i'm stuck and um and i tried to like get angry and i'm using air quotes get angry within my professional life but the thing that was interesting about me getting angry is it would come out in these big huge emotional outbursts mm -hmm. right and um uh, emotional feminine outbursts are not um appropriate right no nope. people just commented on your outburst and didn't actually help you solve any of the issues that that I was feeling or you know let's help you get into a different space or let, let's problem solve this or like why are you actually feeling this way what's wrong with the system where you feel so stuck and your and your wings feel cut off right and um and I just think that I think many women actually feel this way um, in, in ministry and I think in lots of professional places. Um, and I just wonder, like, particularly now about the gender differences with anger mm -hmm. and flipping tables and why is it so hard um, for one person to do it and not another and when does it actually veer into like um like I want to know how did Jesus get people to follow him after this right mm -hmm. what was that like and when does it veer into spaces of um people are going to start shutting down or ignoring you mm -hmm. um so anyway that's Though those are some of the food for thought and what the kinds of things that we are going to talk about um, are those hard stories or feelings when um, when we want to flip tables over, don't feel safe to do it, when we do it, and it either works or it doesn't. So that's that's what I got out of it, Mandy. Yeah, that's that's good stuff. And it, you know, that makes me think like what what happened after right like there are lots of times when I get angry and my immediate reaction once I've calmed down is oh my gosh I have to go apologize like do you think Jesus apologized do you think he went no. back and was like but why not right like um I don't know I just think that's super interesting well the behavior definitely um is not 
something we can do in the 21st century in our sanctuary, at least um, not in the way Jesus did it. Um, all of those emotions that clearly were, they had been building, right, since the right. Passover festival and the p- parade. Um, and, and Yeah, so talk about that for a second, okay. Marta. Like, tell us what, hap- what we know happened before. Well, he, you know, he gathered his group of misfits and, you know, people sort of on the margins. And he was, this is going to be his big moment. They had been doing this sort of grassroots organizing for some time. And, um, you know, on the other side of town was, you know, the big, huge Roman Empire um parade that was robust and beautiful and resourced and then jesus is like uh uh-uh, we're gonna do our own thing um on the on the other side of town and he rallied the people that were on that side of town for the passover festival um and they did gather around him the people that were there um i wish i knew what that was really like or i wish i could really relate that to something that i that I know today, but I don't think there's I, not, there's I don't not think I can in our world like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think there was for him probably this mixture of like excitement. Like we, I had some people here rallying around me and also pretty pissed off. Mm-hmm. Like why is 75% of the people on the other side of town? For goodness sakes, that's super annoying. We're actually doing some good work over here. Hmm. Ah, right? <laughs> um, and so it was. he was mad and angry. And, um, and he also knew um, that this was, this was a necessary shift for his community. Um, he knew he had to protect them he had to give them voice he had to do something and so um you know that's when he went into the temples and did the thing that he did in some ways we believe um that this moment in time in history of um sort of the christian church is we're a little bit at the beginning of the end of what was as we begin to usher into something brand new. Right. And, you know, we like to think of ourselves as table flippers a little bit with this podcast imagining something new for the church. Um, But we really are inspired by people we see flipping tables right now. So we want to give a couple of shout-outs to um, Reverend Kendall Rothus, our friend, with her newly published book, Thy Queendom Come. She is totally flipping tables by examining God's gender and making Christianity and the pulpit accessible to girls. We also want to give a shout-out to the naked pastor, David Hayward, who does flipping table art. Literally, Marta and I got shirts. Um, by challenging the status quo, deconstructing dogma, and promoting critical thinking with his art, we, um, we just see that he is doing that work. Um, you can find a picture of Marta and I in our shirts 
on um, Facebook and we'll, we'll at put our it. Instagram account yeah, is the inst- best. So it's UCC underscore BFECC to follow us on Instagram. Right. Um, and it's super cute. We're super cute. Um, so you should definitely check that part in the um, in another piece of art, not the shirt that we got, but another piece of art. Jesus actually teaches women how to flip the tables like he did in the temple. Super, super cool. But Mandy and I felt like we didn't need that art because the one where Jesus is, you know, helping the women flip the tables. Right. Because, you know, we already, we, we just, we already know how to flip those tables. We, Gosh, it. we do it. Yeah. We do it. Um, there's multiple post-colonial theologians and women, womanist authors out there flipping tables with their work. Um, we've been using a book by Wilda Gaffney. It's called The Women's Lectionary for the Whole Church, and she expands biblical language around gender. We've been using that a lot for our worship services at Black Forest Community Church, so that's another good one. She just pulls these texts that are not in our regular lectionary, um, and then gives us some deep insight into yep. those texts. So we highly recommend that. Yeah. Also be sure to listen to the end because we will always share the good news with you where Jesus is showing up in the here and now. So um, I know that some people like really want concrete things to actually do. And so we offer that at the end. So d- listen to the whole thing. <laughs> The sanctuary space, probably then and even now, um, is super comfortable, right? Right. For most of us. Especially now. And especially now after 20 months of COVID-19, you walk in and you're like, oh, this is so familiar. Um, But I think for some time now it's been like this. Um, We have made it um, so ritualized. You get up in the morning and you put on your Sunday's best and um, you go to church and you sit there and you do this liturgy. Um, But these things that become so routine and such tradition um, in some ways become our golden calves. Mm, For sure. No doubt. And things that... um, turn us away from the work that God calls us to do within the space and within the world. And so what does it mean to preach the actual gospel instead of making people feel comfortable? Right. Like, what does it mean to move away from um, those golden calves? Right. And, you know, that is the demonstration that Jesus gave us, right? He was not interested in making people comfortable. In fact, um, he was making people super uncomfortable. And that was the actual gospel. That was the good news in that moment. This year, the Rocky Mountain Conference of the United Church of Christ, where Black Forest Community Church is settled, opened up a process to apply for a grant out of the tributary fund. We applied and we won, along with other super creative people in our conference. We wanted to give a big shout out to our conference's support and confidence in this work of Jesus has left the building. If you are interested in the ministry of the United Church of Christ, you can visit the website at ucc.org. And if you want to know what specifically the Rocky Mountain UCC folks are up to, go to rmcucc.org.
So today we have a question from our friend Roger Butt. And my husband. He is also Marta's husband. He's a um, minister in this area. He has years and years of experience in the church. He also loves the church and has some big fat questions. So here we go with Roger's question. Hey, Marta and Mandy, it's Roger. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, there's no way to peace along the way of safety. For peace must be dared. It is itself the great venture. It can never be safe. Peace is the opposite of security. To demand guarantees is to want to protect oneself. Peace means giving oneself completely to God's commandment, which I'm assuming is to love. Wanting no security. Wanting nothing that is directed by selfish purposes. So my question is, why is the church so freaking safe? All right, Roger. That's a question right there. It sure is. <laughs> we're not. We're not. Um, we're not starting off safe here, people. Well, and also going back to our earlier conversation, just about. Um, you know, the comforts. And I just want to acknowledge that there is this um, theory um, around sort of tradition and liturgy um, and sort of doing the same thing all of the time creates this really awesome container mm -hmm. to know God. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we want everybody out there to know that, like, we, we're aware we that. of that. Um, and and also, it in some ways, it's become so safe that, you know, is God actually showing up in those spaces? Right. Um, and so what does Roger mean when he uses the word safe? Um, and I think he means, like, um, what does it mean to conform, not be bold or brave or courageous? Um, what, do, you know, like... Does he mean not taking risks in the way Jesus did that day in the temple? Um, Jesus, you know, he saw capitalism. Right. Um, he saw um, product in the worship space um, that was more important than um, spirit moving, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that um, we've all fallen into that trap so many times. Right. Um, I actually just sort of talked about it today that, um, you know, you want to energize a con congregation and you want to get them moving and you want to, um, have some vibrancy there. And how do you do that without focusing on numbers, mm -hmm. attendance or programs and products? Right. Right. When there is a sacred text that's just like this telling us otherwise. Right. Those are actually not the things that are important. They are not the So things. what is important, right? Like, what is Jesus communicating? It's not the selling of things. It's not the commerce and the capitalism that's important. He says, my house is to be a house of prayer. Right. How do you measure that? How do you measure that? I don't know. That's what I need the experts out there <laughs> to listen to this and tell us, because that's what we want to know. <laughs> 
On the surface of the scripture text, the text feels like Jesus is making the religious, you know, setting unsafe. But what if the anger and violent behavior are a way of making the world safer, right? Mm -hmm. Um, What if this is a metaphor um, for actually saying to everybody who is outside of the building that, look, I am, I'm doing this inside in order to be more invitational, more Mm -hmm. radically hospital, hospitable. Um, so I tend to look at the characters and the personalities of the Bible stories. And in this story, Jesus probably comes across fairly scary. Um, I think he is trying to knock the tables over to create more abundance, Mm -hmm. um, to create, to move everything out of the way so that the people who are not normally welcome in that space can come, come in and, and be there. Because if what you're spoke in, in the, in the sort of capitalistic commerce model, if you don't have any money, to buy the doves and to buy the things, then why would you come into that space? It doesn't feel like you have a window or an opportunity to go into that space, right? Right. Um, Or if, like, those traditions and rituals haven't haven't fed your life in a way that is meaningful, then why come in? Right. Or you walk in and you? you see people doing things that you don't understand... Why should that mean something to you? Right. So, like, I don't know. I, I don't know if you listeners out there are thinking of some of the things that you've done in your sanctuary. Um, I mean, there's some really concrete things. And I know that um, my church is going to listen now, and they're already thinking of the thing <laughs> that I did um, within just a few months of being there. Um the, the pews were in rows, and it felt a little unsafe because there was because it was a it is a small church. Um, it felt like there was when you're in rows and you're facing the front and you don't have to look at each other and there's and it's thin. There's not very many people there. Right. Um, there there is an isolation factor. You can go in and sit down and be comfortable and not actually engage. And not right? actually, and, but, but it's also like isolating, right? All right. at the same time. So there's a combination of things happening in that space. And so I was like, uh, we got to flip the tables, dudes. Like we have got mm-hmm. to do something because this is not, this is not the gospel. And so one Saturday I had people, you know, with toolboxes because I don't have those (laughs) and um, they came and unscrewed all the pews and we put them in to a circle and so even if numbers did not shoot up that space um, felt safe I think for people coming from the outside, but it also felt less isolating for the people who are already there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Like what, what I'm just thinking about this is just occurring to me is that there's um we're using this word safe right it's sort of in two different ways there's um what feels safe to the people who are there in that space all the time right it was probably more safe 
for them to be in the rows that they know and to face forward and to do the thing that they were so comfortable with. Um, but that space maybe didn't feel safe to the newcomer because they don't know how to behave in that space. And it, it, it was clear that there were um, routines and expectations that were not being um, shared with newcomers, right? What made that space feel safe for the newcomer was for everyone to be a little bit less comfortable. Right. Right? Isn't right. that interesting? Well, it is interesting. And then on top of that, the people who were already there who came in and sat in a pew and looked forward were also being safe with their faith life. Mm-hmm. Super safe, right. They weren't challenging themselves. And so in some ways, those pews were a golden calf. Mm-hmm. They were Those pews were worshipped more than the God in their midst. Um, so <clears throat> it just, it's interesting to me um, what dismantling it can actually look like. And I think we've done a little bit more of that as time has gone on. So I don't, I'm not actually sure how the church became safe. I'm sure I can do like a big church history search, but that's not really my that's not really my big interest in the world. But I can speculate on a sort of that historical and cultural impact of how the church became safe. And one of the ways um, has been through our individualized, westernized understanding of what is acceptable to keep up with your neighbor. Mm-hmm. One of them is just simply the cultural implications that um, came way earlier, I think, than the 1950s, but definitely Mm -hmm. that is when the big mainline Protestant churches really grounded themselves in our culture in sort of this different way. And then I also think that economics and capitalism play a role in creating an institution um, that lacks significant risks. Um, It is it has lost its way through the development of the modern world in some ways. So safe is maybe not always the best word, but mainly because the church has not been safe for so many people, and we just want to acknowledge that the LGBTQ people, um, even children, we can argue in, in sort of the corporate worship setting, women in leadership. So I think Roger is looking for a word like maybe timid, guarded, defensive, cautious. Mm-hmm. And when there is resistance in a community, it often becomes, you know, stagnant when it becomes resistant to sort of courageous acts and table turning. Um, and it doesn't, so it doesn't actually do the work of peace. Right. Like it's peaceful. Right. It's quiet, but I don't think it's, you know, doing the work of, you know, really peace work. Right. And there's something about what Jesus did, um, I think, in that space that is is really about examining, right? Um, you know, I grew up Catholic, and obviously ritual is super, super important in that faith tradition, maybe more than any other faith tradition. And... Um, 
you know, I have not been Catholic for like 20 years, but I can still go into a Catholic church and recite the prayers and know when to stand and when to sit and things like that. Um, and for some people, that can be an incredibly um, spiritual experience. And for some people, that can be a super safe comfortable experience that requires no um, no risk or engagement really at all, right? And I think there's something about examining why we're doing the things we do. Why do we say the Lord's Prayer right here all the time? Why do we kneel here? Why do we stand when we sing a hymn? Why do we always sit in this particular spot? It doesn't mean that sitting in that spot is bad, right? What can be problematic is not ever wondering because maybe... Or getting a different perspective because you're sitting in a different spot. Right. Maybe the reason we love this spot is because there's a beautiful stained glass window right next to us and we see the light filtering in and it creates this sense of communication with God. Maybe we sit in this spot all the time because we want people to see our fancy dress and it's the best view for, right? Right. Like when you ask yourself those questions, then you have to think about those answers and it's in the examining that we have that new perspective. Right. And so Roger, I don't know if we're answering your question (laughs) or not, but and Bonhoeffer's words are so, so valid. He was... He was an amazing table turner um, of creating peace that is not safe. That's what Bonhoeffer did. He created unsafe peace. Bonhoeffer said that peace is the opposite of security, which reminds me that faith is the opposite of certainty. And Mm -hmm. I know many of you out there have heard that. Author and theologian, more modern than Bonhoeffer, is an author of several books is Barbara Brown Taylor who says, wisdom is not gained by knowing what is right. Wisdom is gained by practicing what is right and noticing what happens when that practice succeeds and when it fails. Taylor wrote a book on leaving the church and writing about her faith. But what strikes me about this is that if wisdom and peace are central to our lives in a faith community, and both require us to have immense faith, and yet we are stuck in a structure that does not allow for the messiness of faith development. Mm-hmm. It's just such an interesting dynamic that we're up against. And so this is what I'll say. When we play it safe, we may appeal to more people and the church may grow. I mean, because, you know, we're not, we're not sort of rocking the boat. We're not doing anything messy. We're not turning over tables. We are providing a product that we know people want. Um, when we don't play it safe, we, we are taking a risk, a leap of faith, and we are, end up not being slaves to a world that only cares about the money changers and the priests with ridiculous power. Yeah. And then I'll also say that is like literally the hardest thing in the entire world. Oh my gosh, world. it's so so hard. But that's true about life, right? It's not that's not just true about church. I mean, I you know, Marta, I am a person who loves things to be 
well organized, right? You do. I have these She gets mad at me sometimes. That have, you know, color-coded plans of how my life is going she to go. She has the little dot notebooks, but people. It's a bullet journal, FYI. Um, but what I, what I know about myself is that, um, she's laughing so hard at me over there. Um, what I know is that I can't, I can't actually control all the things, right? And sometimes life happens and I have to figure out what to do with the messiness of that, right? And I think about, um, the way is that we want church to fit into that bullet journal, right? We we want our church life to be this well thought out and organized and planned schedule of events so that we can know what's coming, so that we can um, do what what we've done and that worked so well last year. But we leave no room for that messiness. We leave no room for um, the real parts of life. And so then it becomes shallow and it doesn't feel like something we can relate to because life is messy. And frankly, church probably needs to be too. Right. So I'm going to actually throw something kind of radical out there. Woo! Here we go. Here we go, people. Um, What if comfortable is, is a bit like sin? What? I mean... So I'm back to this Hebrew Bible and the golden calf. Um, And, you know, according to the Bible, the golden calf was an idol made by the Israelites when Moses went to Mount Sinai. The incident was known, um, this golden calf thing was known as the sin of the calf. Mm -hmm. So, um, and and, and it was first mentioned, you know, in Exodus um, and continued to be mentioned, um, and also, you know, just acknowledging that bull worship has a, has been common in many cultures. But what if, like, what if this idea of comfortable is one of our golden calves mm-hmm. that we really need to look at in the mainline Protestant church right now? Um, and so I was sort of thinking of what is, what is my golden calf? Mm-hmm. Like, what are, I mean, we all have them because, and they also tend to be blind spots. So I actually had to really think about, like, what are, what are those? Um, th- what are those things that are comfortable to me that sort of are veering more into the sin camp um, that I have to fight against? And I honestly think that my outfits. <laughs> <laughs> And my Sunday's dress, I mean, there's, I love it. And it, you guys, this is so hard for her right now. She is, she is confessing. This is a confession. It is a confession. Um, for a variety of reasons, um, because I just had to do a whole purge of my closet because 20 months in COVID is an interesting time (laughs) that we are not going to really go into at this moment. But I, um, I'm really comfortable, like Sunday mornings, like I, I love it. I love getting up. I love doing my hair and my makeup and my jewelry and all my accessories and my outfits. And um, it's super comfortable. It's really, really, really comfortable. And I think that even though, like, I um, I can say, you know, you be you. I mean, in real life, at the end of the day, I don't care 
um, how people show up to church. I truly, truly don't. But, you know, when it's that important to me, I can imagine some of that projection seeping out on other people. Um, and why, why did they wear their sweatpants? Like, why isn't my daughter, you know, brushing her hair and putting her lipstick on, like, when she goes out to a party? Gosh darn it. Why doesn't she do that for church, right? And um, because, you know, she knows it doesn't matter at church. She knows church is the place where she can go as she is, right? Which is so awesome. And that's one of my confessions of a comfortable peace of what I think the church has has come to mm-hmm. that needs a little table turning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so interesting. You know, I think my... Um, my I mean, your bullet journal is kind of like a golden catch. It is, but that doesn't have anything to do with church necessarily. It is, it's totally a golden calf. I think, you know, in terms of church, my golden calf is... Although I, I'm, you know, I'm really growing and learning um, on this area, but I have been a classically trained, very traditional musician, church musician my whole life, you know? Um, and I think the pandemic has done some real work for me on what that looks like. And, um, you know, because we didn't get to do the things that we we're used to doing for however long, a long time. And we just had our first Sunday back with the choir a couple of weeks ago. And um, that was awesome and great. And also there are other ways for people to um, engage in church music, right? You know, I, I've, always been super duper scoffy about contemporary Christian worship and like frankly some of it is really quite horrible um but there's also <laughs> there's also some good stuff out there and the the Mandy of you know even five years ago wouldn't have ever even considered any of that 100 percent I think that of you <laughs> I do. Well, no, but here's like the coolest thing. I mean, because, you know, truly like Mandy is a, a massive, massive talent. Um, but but it's interesting because you've also been able to be super fluid in ways that I don't think other people would have been able to be. So it's quite um, it's quite inspiring in, in lots of different ways. And so my friend Roger, my beloved, mm-hmm. um we don't know why the church is so effing safe. But what we are interested in is figuring out how we can be less comfortable, less safe, less timid, and more bold and risky, right? Right. And we hope that like conversations like this will sort of inspire you to think about, okay, ma- maybe this week, maybe in the next couple of months or a year, um, I'm going to attempt to turn a table over in my context and see what happens. Yeah. See how people react. See if it moves people to passion in the way that it did Jesus. Because at the end of the day, that anger came out of deep and abiding passion Mm -hmm. for the people in his community and on the margins. Mm -hmm. Um, and And he changed things for himself and for 
those people around him. Big time. Where is Jesus this week? Jesus has left the building. If you are looking for Jesus, he is not in the church. In the last month, there has been an extreme ban in Texas on abortion laws. Join us in the action to protect women's rights. Educate first. Hear the stories of women and their bodies. Plan to march in the next protest or rally. Keep your eyes peeled for those rallies. Social media is also a great way for grassroots organizing. Plan to use hashtag MeToo when communicating issues of women's rights. Watch the series called Made about domestic violence on Netflix or the series Miss America about reproductive rights streaming on Hulu. School boards across the country are dividing down political lines. Educate first. Hear the story of a child or a teen in the public school system. What have their experiences been in the past 20 months of COVID-19? Plan to join a campaign to protect our young ones this fall. Reverend Raphael Warnock said, A vote is a kind of prayer about the kind of world you want to live in. And again, purchase Reverend Kendall Rothes's newly published book, Thy Queendom Come, Breaking Free from the Patriarchy to Save Your Soul, and curl up on the couch and read this breathtaking personal story of women in the church. Education is everything. And go buy some art from nakedpastor.org. You will find art and ideas that challenge your thinking, support your quest for truth, and encourage unlimited, authentic growth. This is where we bought our t-shirts where Jesus is flipping over the tables. And uh, definitely check it out and like our picture on Instagram and Facebook. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Find us on Facebook at JHLTB and message us to learn how you can be part of this effort to tell stories, have conversations, build relationships, and follow Jesus out of the church and into the world. To support our work, search for Black Forest Community Church on Venmo to make a one-time donation or become a patron on our Patreon account at patreon.com slash JHLTB to commit monthly to this project. You'll get regular communications and updates about our stories. We give thanks to Black Forest Community Church and the Tributary Fund of the Rocky Mountain Conference of the United Church of Christ for their ongoing support. We could not do this without all who support Jesus has left the building.